Welcome to The Jury Is Out, a podcast for trial attorneys who want to sharpen their skills and better serve their clients. Your co-hosts are John Simon, founder of the Simon Law Firm, and St. Louis attorney Eric Veith. Welcome to another episode of The Jury Is Out. I'm Eric Veith. I'm John Simon. Joining us today is Tim Cronin. Hi, Tim. Hello. How are you guys? Tim, for those who don't know you, can you just say a few sentences about how you fit into the uh, Simon Law Firm? I work here at the Simon Law Firm with John and have for my whole career, and it's a pleasure to do so. So, Tim, this isn't the first time you've been on with us. Is that right? No, I think I've been on twice before, once to talk about our Coon trial and verdict, and then I think another time when we had a local defense attorney on to have a discussion with him, Tim Guerin. So I think this is my third. Okay, well, welcome. So today we're going to talk about depositions. There's so much information out there about depositions, so many different types of depositions and approaches and strategy and preparation and what you do in the deposition, what you do after the deposition. We're going to likely do more than one segment on depositions. We'll just start talking and see where it takes us. We're going to start out, though, with deposition strategy, things like, first of all, do you need to take the deposition? Tim, what do you think? I don't think you should just blindly take any deposition that you can take in a case. You need to think about what you can gain or lose from taking the deposition. Sometimes the best thing you can do is not take somebody's deposition. It reminds me, when I was a very young lawyer, I was working with an attorney who wanted to be complete and find out all there was to know. I suppose I was on the defense side. And he would always notice up every treating doctor's deposition of the plaintiff. We were the defendant. And I remember preparing for those depositions, sitting in my office, reading the records, putting question marks all over it, like, do we really want this guy to to say this in a deposition? I didn't think we should be taking all of these depositions, to be honest. But for the most part, we took all of them. And we got our hats handed to us sometimes in depositions. And as you know, in Missouri, There's no such thing. In some states, you have a discovery deposition, like across the river in Illinois. In Missouri, a deposition is a deposition. Once it's taken, it can be played. Right. And so, you know, on the defense side, we obviously practice on the plaintiff's side. I certainly understand that you need to know and want to know before trial what anybody's going to say, but nobody's really able to subpoena doctors to come in to trial. So if you're taking all the plaintiff's treating doctors and they're not going to say anything good for you, You're doing the plaintiff a favor because you're giving them testimony and you're paying for it. Sometimes it's easier to cross a treating doctor with some follow-up, especially. You can lead. Not only can you lead, but you hear what was said on direct and it gives you some inroads, things to follow up with and so forth. So I think that's a big deal. I mean, you got to ask yourself, do I want to take this deposition? I was thinking about the types of witnesses whose depots you take. You have the opposing party, whether it's the plaintiff or the defendant. You have an expert, a treating physician or an independent witness. And if it's a party, obviously you're going to take the deposition. I can't imagine a circumstance, whatever kind of case it is, whether it's an auto case or a product case or a a med mal, where you waive taking the other sides. Have you ever done that? No. Eric, what about you? Uh, No. I've had cases where I believe the other side is worried about me taking their defendant doctor's depot or their corporate rep depot, and I I have an inkling that I think they want to resolve the case, and I'll hold off on taking the defendant's depot as leverage until after a mediation and say, look, if this doesn't get resolved, I'm going to take that. But I certainly always take it before trial. That situation, it's really heightened when it's the type of case that recurs. It happens a lot, an automotive product case, or if you've got a product that's been recalled and the defendant might be 
fighting off or defending multiple other lawsuits at that time, they might try to settle with the most aggressive firm or most aggressive attorney because they're kind of leading the charge and building the case, so to speak, for everybody else that's out there. And they don't want that depot out there that then every other firm is going to get and just work off of. It reminds me of a quote. I want to share a quote. You ever heard this by Carl Sagan? If you wish to make an apple pie from scratch, you must first invent the universe. In other words, you, you you can't just make a pie. There's a given, there's a context to to actually doing simple things. And when you're talking about, should I take a deposition? How I should take a deposition? What is my objective for taking the deposition? I think that all of us know that we draw upon so much experience, mistakes we've made, things we'd rather have done a certain uh, other way once we've done them this way. Learning from watching other people take depositions, learning from watching our opponents take depositions, watching them, you know, tear apart our own witness, for instance, watching successful depositions where things turn out well. Think about this. What other aspect of what we do compares to questioning a witness under oath, which is really what a deposition is? And I think it's a skill set that is developed over time. I think about early on in my career when I would sit in a deposition and watch a more experienced attorney just dismantle a witness or go through with a really good deposition. And you're like, wow. And you're wondering, why didn't I think of that? This is a great example. The witness, as you know, we've all been through this. The witness will take a position in the case saying, I don't know. Now it's almost like it's second nature. It's a reflex. I don't even need to think about how to respond to that. You know what questions to ask, how to phrase them, to pin them in the corner. So you don't know, well, who does know? Okay. Depending on who it is, you might say, okay, we're here to ask you in your capacity as an employee of the company or a corporate rep. If you don't know, then I guess nobody knows. And if nobody knows, we're not going to hear anything about it at trial. And But so much of it is learned. And it really is a skill that I don't know any other way you're going to get better at it than doing it. Not just doing it, because I think it, part of it is just a comfort level, right? You start to get more comfortable as you have done them more and more. But I think I learn something in every depot I take, oftentimes by watching the other attorney do something that I haven't seen done before and thinking, that's really good. I'm yeah. going to steal that. Yeah. And, you know, we spend so much of our time in depositions. Eric, how many depositions do you think you've taken? <laughs> Thousands? I've been practicing for 40 years. Yeah. Several thousand hours? I don't know. Yeah. 5,000 yeah. hours? Tim, I don't what know. do you think? I bet I've easily taken a thousand depositions, yeah, which I've... means thousands and thousands of hours. Questioning somebody under, under oath. Right. So I think we had an attorney meeting, remember about six months ago, I tried to make a rough estimate of the amount of time I've actually spent in, not in trial, in depositions, questioning witnesses. And I think it equated to either four to five years <laughs> of, of my time. So I guess if you have bad habits and you continue to reinforce those bad habits, you could be getting worse in it. But I always listen to what the other side is doing, thinking of ways, just different things you can think about being creative over the years. There's a, a rhythm to these things and your personalities play into them. Should you approach the witness with sugar rather than spice? In other words, sometimes you dig in. Like I don't know if any of you have recently deposed an attorney, but it can be infuriating. You know, it's like, what's your name? Objection. You know, that kind of thing. Objection and, what? Yeah. <laughs> well, right. I mean, the tone you take during the depot should depend upon your goals for that depot and your read of the witness once you start, and you need to be willing to adjust it. If you've got somebody who's an expert witness in a case, and they've not done this that often, or occasionally you'll run into somebody that this is their second time doing it or first time, that's a whole different approach for me. If you play your cards right sometimes and you've got the right witness for it, you'll get all kinds of good stuff. You'll have them in a deposition kind of letting them teach you about things. And then you develop that rapport. And then all of a sudden, when you get to the things that are important, they're nodding their head yes. Right. Yes, that sounds reasonable. That sounds fair. 
but I think you need to kind of gauge the, the, the witness. So let me ask you guys this, Eric and Tim, let's talk about experts. Have either of you had situations where you've decided to forego taking the other side's experts deposition and what were the circumstances? Yeah, I've done that. And so I think we need to break up Missouri State Court and federal court and Illinois into different sections. So I've done it in Missouri State Court in one of the last cases we tried together, John, and it was an opposing life care planner. I knew I was getting a report from her and I had dozens of past depots on her and I didn't anticipate that the opposing lawyers had looked into all the things she had said in those past depots that were great for us. So I didn't want them to know my cross. And then I just did it at trial for the first time. And I thought it worked out really well. The jury gave us our life care planners, life care plan and not hers. Generally in Missouri state court, you know, we don't normally get reports. So you kind of have to know what they're going to say. But with the increasing number of experts that are being disclosed by the other side to go two, three, four times, whatever ours are, to buy a verdict, in my opinion. One thing I've started to do, and I think it's very useful and I'm gonna do it more often, is you can almost force in state court a report by serving depositions by written question. And then they're boxed into those opinions and they don't get to know all your cross, but they're locked into their opinions and then you can do your cross at well, trial. How, how does that work more specifically? Are they like interrogatories? Is it by statute it's or by rule, rule in Missouri? It's okay. by rule in Missouri. And so you serve very pointed questions and it can be, what are your opinions in this case? Please explain all of the bases of your opinions. And then you can ask, you know, the background and bias questions or some more pointed questions based on the case. And it's basically like an, like an interrogatory. Do you waive your ability to take a, a regular deposition if you send it by written? Yeah, because it's considered a deposition. Okay. So you need to carefully consider whether you want to do that. And what happens is the expert sits down under oath with a court reporter and the court reporter reads the question and the expert answers it. So the attorneys are not present. The attorneys can be present, but nobody's allowed to ask any questions that aren't what's written down. Now, the other attorney has a timeline after you serve your depot by written question to craft their own questions. They also want the court reporter to ask, but they can't. If the expert doesn't say what they want them to say or give a good answer, they can't just follow up live and say, well, you said this, but really you meant this. So you're trapping them in, in a way that doesn't allow them to just sit down with their lawyer oh, so the expert and write get, out their opinions. Uh, I get it. So the expert or whoever the witness is doesn't get the questions ahead of time. You give them to the court reporter and the court reporter shows up to well, read them to the them? the opposing party gets, I mean, the other attorney yeah. gets them ahead of time. So I'm sure they share them with the expert, okay. but they're not allowed to just sit down and read answers. And so I would still attend the depot to watch what's happening and say, whoa, 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 this is not you come in and read some, like you're giving testimony under oath, like you're at trial, you couldn't do that on the stand. And so they just orally give their answers. And when they're done, the court reporter reads the next question. Um, and it costs much, much less money and you're boxing them into opinions while not revealing all your cross-examination to them that you're going to do a trial. We had a case in federal court. One of the attorneys in the office here, Kevin, and I had one. It was in the federal court in Florida. As I recall, this had to be about 10 years ago. The defendant in that case was a chemical company, pharma company. It was crazy. They designated like 18 experts and it wasn't just the sheer number of the experts, but it was the time that we had. Mm -hmm. We had four weeks or three weeks to take, and they were all over the place. We went with the reports, and it, it turned out being an advantage. I've tried cases in federal court where I've done just that. I chose not to take the other side's experts' deposition and relied on the report, 
it is really helpful in a lot of situations because the experts can't go beyond what's in the report. And especially if you think the report is insufficient and either didn't explain or provide a basis for the opinions or they're too vague and you think you'll be able to exclude them or at least dramatically limit them. Yeah. In a deposition, obviously they can fix stuff. Right. So Illinois state court, it's kind of like federal court. It's not like a formal report, but they have to list all their opinions and bases and qualifications. And I know there's a lot of Illinois lawyers who they get those disclosures of the experts' opinions and they're woefully insufficient. Like Tom Keefe does this. He doesn't take them and he just sits back. And the other side goes, you're going to take my expert. You're going to take my expert. No. And then Tom files a motion to exclude the expert at trial. And they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. He didn't get to give a depot. And the answer is, I don't have to take a depot. You have to disclose the opinions yes, and the bases yeah. for it. I've had experts in the other way where I chose to take a deposition and it didn't work out real well, where I had a nice report, was happy with what the expert was saying. More specifically, I was happy with what the expert wasn't saying because the yeah. report was fairly limited. And then I decided to push some things and test some things that were really being covered by other witnesses. And of course, in a deposition, they're not limited. They can supplement. You know, They're yeah. not limited to what's in the report. And sure enough, we've got three new issues that I have to contend with with that expert. So I think you really need to give some serious thought, especially in federal court or in states where a, a report is required, as to what's the benefit. And the other thing, too, that Tim mentioned earlier, especially if it's a witness who's testified a lot and the transcripts are all out there, one thing that might not be in the report or how much money they've made testifying, how many times they worked for this defendant, but if those are out there, and they are in most situations, mm -hmm. I agree. You are better off, in my opinion, in a lot of cases, choosing not to take the expert's deposition. No question. Yeah. Are, are you losing any ability to do what you need to do at trial by skipping the deposition? And if you got the field pretty wide open and you've got your options there and you know your, your attack points, your impeachment points already, and you would just be wasting them at the deposition or, or rehearsing it, why do that? I had one case where uh, this is really unusual. I did only one time. I was on a defense side and it was a run of the mill minor injury case. And we decided because I had the treating doctor's report and I thought, why are we spending money deposing? Can't we just go out and talk to the doctor? I just want to get more comfortable with what he's saying. And so we did. We just went out and talked to the doctor. I said, can we skip the deposition? We'll just sit there for a half an hour, ask him some questions, skip all the CV questions, all the formality, get rid of the court reporter. And I just wanted to understand his opinion better. It wasn't a, a hired gun. It was just a treating doctor. And I thought it went really well and we settled the case. I never did it any, any other time, but I thought that was something worth considering sometimes. Not everything you do is for purposes of what's going to happen at trial. I mean, most of it is, but sometimes you need to consider, should you take the expert because you know the other side is trying to introduce a theory or present a theory that's really not just thin, but false. And so sometimes, even if there's a report, you know what the opinions are, I will take the depot because I feel confident that the professional once under oath and pressed, I can get them off the issue and get them to make admissions that I can exclude several issues that are extremely prejudicial at trial if they get to do it. So I always have in mind too, like, what I know what am I going to do talking about pre, yeah <laughs> what am I going to do with the pretrial what do I need out not just how can I cross this guy at trial right. what can I not let the jury hear because it's nonsense yeah. so I got to take this guy and this doctor is going to eventually admit once you press him yeah that I actually can't say that you would think that it's a little easier deciding whether or not to take the deposition of a treating doctor because you have the records and that's not always the case. I've gone into treating doctor's depositions 
where it's just the doctor's personality, basically. They just don't want to be bothered. They don't want you in the office. They don't have time for you. They I, don't I, like I lawsuits. A, yeah, I had a very, very significant automotive product case that involved lap belts in a car, and I represented two young men who were almost cut in half by the lap belts that were backseat passengers. We had spent a ton of time and money on this case, probably took 30, 40 depositions, and this was the main surgeon who put one of these young men back together, multiple surgeries. He did a phenomenal job. And I had exhibits all set up. This was the centerpiece. He, he was it as far as the injuries and how they occurred. And all he wanted to do was get us out of the office. He wouldn't elaborate on anything in the deposition. He gave us barely what we needed, but it was all like, yep, yes, sure. And, and doctor, can you explain this? Uh, it's this. You could just tell he was a terrible witness, good doctor, terrible witness. We ended up presenting that with other witnesses in a different way, but we didn't get the most important stuff we needed from the person who knew the most about it because he just didn't want to cooperate. I'll throw this tip out. Ask your clients what they think of the treating doctor yeah. and how they get along with them. Is he or she, are they a nice person? Do they spend time with them? The other thing along those same lines, if you like your client, <laughs> if you really like your client a lot, chances are anybody they've interacted with is going like to like them and go to bat for them. You don't need every treating doctor. You need to be selective. First of all, go through the records and see what the records, do you need them, first of all? Because you can just okay. read from the records. Right. You can read from the records. In most instances, you probably don't, quote, need them, but will they advance your case? Will they make your case better? Will they be more of a positive than a negative? And are you just presenting duplicative testimony? I mean, if you have a retained expert who's already given causation opinions for you and you have, for example, a life care planner, that life care planner can go through all of the treatment with the jury and you know they're going to do a good job doing it and being thorough and giving you what you need. So you may not end up wanting to use the treating doctor's depo anyway. The last thing you want to do is just run out and take every treating doctor's deposition, especially in states. It's not a discovery depo. It's a deposition. Whatever they said is it. Eric, what about treating doctors? What have your experience been in not taking or taking treating doctor's depositions? I agree with the proposition that you don't want to duplicate information. If you have multiple treating doctors and one seems to sum up everything, well, why take the others? It, it seems like that would just bore the jury. I mean, it's possible you can get an extra little morsel of something out of the second treating doctor. But if you have somebody that does a good job, presents well, likes the plaintiff, there's no need to turn over every stone. It is a matter of diminishing returns, right? I mean, it, sometimes if you take those three other treating doctors, there might be something in there that helps you. So it's a, it's a matter of judgment. I don't know if I have a firm rule about that. What do you think about trying to meet with or talk to the treating doctor beforehand? I think it's a good idea, but the increasingly their insurance company will not let them talk to the plaintiff's lawyer. And if they do talk to you, they're going to have their own personal counsel present hired by their insurance company. So I have found that it's rare that you can even accomplish it anymore. I've always been a little bit reluctant to meet with independent witnesses. Even if we're scheduling the deposition, I'll have somebody else, one of the paralegals or somebody from the office call to set it up. I don't know if you were on the case, Tim, it was an auto accident and the attorney met with this independent witness who was a key witness in the case. And what was in the police report seemed favorable. And when we scheduled the deposition of this independent witness, it I turns know the out- exact case, it was one of my <laughs> first cases. And it turned out the opposing counsel had met with this witness I think more than once, took notes, he and talked his to her, went to her, house. went to her house and had this sit down meeting at the coffee table, taking all of these notes. Then they get this typed up and send it to her. And we find this out at the deposition, obviously, that she says what they sent me was completely the opposite Fabricated. of what I like, what I said. What they I tried said to, to get them. her to sign it. 
and tried to get her to sign it. So, she refused. So when we called her. <laughs> and that we, all played out yeah, at the depot. Yeah. So when we called her to take her deposition, she said, sure, I'll be happy to uh, give a deposition. She told me what happened on the phone. And I said, you just hang on to that, bring it with you. Yeah. I think she had it in her bag, in her purse. She did. And then well, I guess we, <laughs> we went first with the questioning. We were sitting in this exact room. Okay. I remember we were talking about when to bring that out. And we didn't bring it up at all. And you right? did your direct, which was exactly what she had said in the police report, which was what our theory of the case was. And then you let the defense lawyer hang himself and go through and confront her about that she told him something different and he sent her this statement and, and then let her pull it out of her purse while he was asking <laughs> questions. And then you came back at the end acting with shock he did what? Yeah. And right. It Why didn't you signed. sign it? It wasn't signed. <laughs> yeah. She said, I sent it back to him with change. Like she made, she crossed stuff out. Yeah. And sent it, sent it back to him. <laughs> Last night I was just happened to be watching a video on uh, YouTube and it was a deposition, a video deposition of a lawyer asking the witness. So have we met before? Yes, we have. Did we talk about the case? Yeah, we have. And I, I never told you what to say about the case, right? Uh, actually, yes, you did. <laughs> they, they, they put that on. I thought, oh my God. Be, so if you're going to meet with an, any kind of witness, independent witness, be careful what you ask and say. My general rule is every 20 seconds while I'm asking what happened, I say, now make sure to remember I told you your job is just to tell the truth. So that the one thing they remember from my discussion is he just kept telling me over and over again to tell right, the truth. Right. Yeah. Who, who knows why somebody would do that with a statement and then bring it up at the deposition. That attorney was probably, I thought he was like pleased that it didn't come out on direct. And if it were me in, in that position, I likely would have said no further questions yeah. that weren't done. But you're right. It added, uh, it gave us a little boost in that case. The purpose of taking a deposition, apart from whether you want to take it, why are you taking it? What do you want to get from the witness? And I think one of the things to think about too is what are you going to use it for? I think a big issue that you really need to think about, are we taking the deposition to gather information and to find out stuff we don't know? Are we taking it to nail down stuff we already know? In other words, is it a discovery deposition or is it a deposition we intend to use at trial? What you're going to do before and during a depot is going to depend on what type of depot it is and what your goal is. Sometimes the best thing you can accomplish is to simply sideline a witness like you said earlier, and eliminate their ability to say much. I think this is one of the first things that young lawyers struggle to understand but learn over time. You are not just there to get information or find out what the case is about. The purpose of every single deposition should be to make your case better. Yeah, and I think sometimes it's nailing things down, reinforcing things, and as you said, eliminating a witness's ability to say certain things. One of the things, too, I use depositions to help with anticipated discovery disputes. I do that all the time. I use questions in depositions to open the door, so to speak, for certain bits of evidence. In, in product cases, the smart experts won't take extreme positions. When they take extreme positions, number one, it makes them look bad, but also it opens a door for stuff. Instead of saying, well, this, in my opinion, this vehicle isn't defective, to say it's perfectly safe, well... Guess what? If they want to say it's perfectly safe, they probably open the door for every other incident involving that vehicle that exists. So there's all kinds of things that you can do. Well, that's a good start. We're going to take a pause here in discussing deposition strategies. We'll be back next time with the continuation of this topic. I'm Eric Feith. I'm Tim Cronin. I'm John Simon. See you next time. The Jury is Out is brought to you by the Simon Law Firm. 
Share your comments with John and Eric at comments at thejuryisout.law and tune into the other podcasts in the Simon Law Firm Library, including Heels in the Courtroom, a lively look at life and law from a female point of view, and Results Don't Lie, a legal drama podcast about the nation's first opioid overprescription medical malpractice case. Subscribe today because the best lawyers never stop learning.